Hollywood Hoop Dreams aren't only made from magic, they also come in the form of original podcasts from the Hoop Ball Network. So if you're the Lakers zooming out, are you tempted to bring back DeMarcus Cousins in the playoffs? And do you disrupt the dynamic at that point if he's healthy enough to play? Join Ethan, JC, and the thriving Lakers community around the world to talk about all things Lakers. The Lakers this season has come to expect of this team is consistent winning. That is something we have not been able to say since I've seen Andrew Bynum in a Lakers uniform. The show is available everywhere pods are found and you can follow the show on twitter at hoopball lakers the following is a hoopball presentation welcome to the fantasy nba today podcast you know I got to say, it's Friday. We made it to the end of the week, weekend edition here. And this is as normal as I've felt on this podcast the last few days, basically since the shutdown. We have, we can start every show with basketball news. We have prep to do for a potential draft. There are underpinnings of normal underpinnings. I mean, it's not, we're never going to be normal. I don't know that we'll ever be normal again, which I realize is a pretty pessimistic outlook on things, but it's going to take a while until I, at least me personally, until I feel like I'm ready to go just out into a crowded space in the community because, boy, this is, it's, it's been mentally changing all of this. But that's not the point. The point of today's pod is we've had a whole week here of just covering NBA news, basically. News breaks, team prep, we're getting ready for the resumption. We're under five weeks away now, four weeks and six days, 34 days from basketball coming back. We got baseball spring training. I mean, I again, I have no confidence baseball is going to make it. The, the fact that they're using a bunch of honor system <laughs> related, yeah, I mean, that the honor system doesn't work once you get past about eighth grade. But regardless, this baseball spring training that's like five days from now, I don't think they're going to be playing games right out of the shoot. There's going to be a lot of significant warm-up. But we got we have real big four sports on the horizon here, and it's just why it's just magical. Um, over the course of the last 24 hours, we've we've gotten notes that about 10 to 20 NBA players and staff have tested positive for COVID as they're entering their team training bubbles. And that's fine. Um, but I started to think about the what it means for these different teams. This is actually, to me, the scariest part of the NBA resumption because teams are in their own little training camp pockets this is where they can't there's there's less control over everything so team players are now in their home cities with the exception i believe of toronto they're in uh i think they're in south florida they're in fort myers or something like they're in south florida um and so this is what concerns me a lot of these players have homes in those cities where they actually play for the team. You know, LeBron has houses, house or houses here in Los Angeles. Anthony Davis lives in Los Angeles. The the, the players who have uh, hundreds of millions, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars can very easily just buy a home in the city where they're playing. There are a lot of journeymen and young NBA players who were more than likely living with teammates, crashing staying in hotel rooms, things of that nature, renting a place that maybe they gave up when the season shut down, or maybe they continued to pay for it but weren't living there. Regardless, particularly for a team like Toronto, not playing in their home city, this is the part that scares me because they're not inside the Orlando bubble, which, as we learned yesterday, is going to be well-monitored, patrolled. There's going to be... Uh, security officials to keep people out of the bubble. There's all these different checkpoints. So anybody going in and out, 
We're aware of it. Everything is going to be tracked in the Orlando portion of the proceedings, in the Disney property portion of the proceedings. Right now, you have the teams pockmarked across the country in their home cities, which some of them are in worse shape than others. Uh, the Suns, for instance, who I assume are in Arizona right now. Maybe they're not. Maybe they maybe they just went to Florida too, but I haven't seen anything to that effect. Arizona is getting crushed right now. Opened up way early. And they're getting hammered with arguably one of the worst waves that we've seen. And no one's no one's really paying attention to it. And I would encourage all of you to see if there's someone you can help in Arizona right now, because it's not good out there. But that puts a team in a city with a massive outbreak happening and living among that city. So they're going to have to figure out they got to get everything set up. If there are players that, I mean, I'm sure some of them lived there during the the three-and-a-half-month hiatus, but there are going to be players on those teams that aren't living in Arizona, or weren't, I should say, past tense, that just came back or are on their way to come back getting tested prior to this training camp. Heaven forbid any of them actually has COVID on that team and they have to delay their own training camp for a week or two weeks. Someone could very easily catch it in Arizona during this training camp and might have to miss training camp. Provided nothing worse happens. You know, we're talking about just the standard, let's say it's just, you know, mild symptoms or no symptoms. They quarantine for 7 to 14 days. They get their two negative tests and then they can play again. Um, That player might not have any training camp by the time the team heads to Orlando. All these teams are going to start doing stuff together here over the next little bit. If they miss the next two weeks, that puts us at July 10th. Teams are starting to head to Florida at that point. And if anybody has COVID when that happens, they would have to quarantine again. I think there's already going to be a layoff where everybody gets tested as they go towards the bubble because, again, they want to make sure they keep it all out of it. Uh, by the way, the, the, the press release officially is that 16 players tested positive for COVID out of 302. So, you know, not bad, I guess. What is that, about 5%? It's pretty pretty close to a lot of the states in our nation, which is telling you they're probably not quarantining. Some of them were, some of them weren't. And so there you are. So this part makes me nervous because you got everybody across the country. There's a honor system happening right now. You know, they're going to have to figure out their own meals. That's one of the things. Are they going to go to the market? Is a spouse going to go to the market? Are they going to do Instacart? Are they going to wipe down their groceries? Are they going to go to a restaurant? Are they going to order in, delivery, pickup? Once they're in the bubble, they've got a quarantined chef cooking stuff for them, getting tested in and out. Whether this chef has to leave the bubble, they're getting tested, they're getting symptom checks, all that stuff. They got credentials, they got to swipe in and out. Right now, that ain't happening. So the next couple of weeks make me very nervous. I think they're going forward with this thing almost regardless of what happens, but I really hope the players take this portion of the ramp up very seriously and do their best to stay in the quarantine in their home cities right now. Doesn't really matter who else tested positive. I think we heard Derek Jones Jr. Um, We heard Willie Cauley-Stein is sitting out the restart because he has a kid due in July. Doesn't want to have to either miss the newborn or risk anything health-wise. I totally get that as someone who has a uh, three-month-old here born during the first two weeks of the shutdown. I get it. I wouldn't be taking that kid anywhere. I'm not taking that kid anywhere. That's how it is right now. Baby almost never leaves home. So let's hope we can get through this little stretch. Let's get through everybody's individual training camp. Let's get them into the bubble, and then I'll start to feel a little bit better about it. Uh, But honestly, as I said on Twitter, at this point, you could put almost anything on TV. It could be a, a whole bunch of backups, and for baseball, it could just be weird spring training games. I'm watching it. I'm watching anything right now. I'm going to tell you at the end of the show why this segment is funny. It's not funny until you hear it. This is Fantasy NBA Today, everybody, a hoop ball presentation. 
I'm Dan Bespris. That hasn't changed. Nothing has changed between yesterday and today, but something did change between the day before yesterday and yesterday that we told you about on yesterday's show. And that, of course, is that Fantasy NBA Today has once again partnered with our buddies over at Manscaped.com. I told you all about it on yesterday's podcast. I'm telling you about it again today. I know many of you are about to tune me out, but before you do, I am literally begging you to help us with this. I never ask for anything on this podcast except a rating and a review every once in a blue moon. This is the time we need these advertisers to love their experience with HoopBall, and for that to work, we need you guys. I also want to mention, we have two coupon codes that get the exact same deal going. After releasing the coupon code Brewski on yesterday's podcast, I was informed by the great Aaron Brewski that people misspell his name all the time. Never really occurred to me because I see it all the time. He and I are talking often about things at HoopBall. And so we went back to Manscaped and we said, hey, can we get a second code just in case someone's like, I don't know how to spell this dude's name. El Arquitecto, how do we spell his last name? So we have two coupon codes. If you want to use Brewski, that's fine. It's B-R-U-S-K-I. But an easier one to spell is HoopBall20. The 20 is because with our coupon codes, you get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com. Again, those codes are either Brewski or HoopBall20. All one word. You don't need the hyphen, no dots, no nothing in this coupon code. HoopBall20, all one word. Check it out. Go get yourself the new Lawn Mower 3.0 with a built-in LED light. I can't get over that new feature. And frankly, um, I have the Lawn Mower 2.0 that was sent to me when we partnered with Manscaped for a couple weeks back in the fall. And it doesn't have a light. And now I feel like I'm, wink, wink, getting shafted. Hardy, har, har. I know. Thank you, Manscaped. I'm sure you would have loved that joke. Uh, so please do check that out. It, it, this is a really big deal for us here at HoopBall. We need your assistance. If you guys have been following this show for years and thinking, when is Dan ever going to ask for anything back? It's with advertisers. We need them to love their experience. And that comes down to success. It needs to be a success. So check it out. It actually really is a, really, uh, a good product. I, I've used the Lawnmower 2.0 on my neck. I've used it on actually my my back, if you must know. I'm a disgusting, hairy old man. And it really doesn't pinch. They're not lying. It really doesn't pinch. Surprise the hell out of me. It doesn't. You'll get those little red pinch marks. Youch. I've got a bl- I have a different uh electric trimmer that I use, you know, on my my beard, my sideburns, things like that. It's metal, and it hurts. (laughs) This one doesn't. So kudos, Manscaped. You made a good product. Now, we need you guys to go get it. Again, coupon codes are either Brewski or HoopBall20. Manscaped.com is the website. Get 20% off and free shipping. We only got through the first two teams in the Eastern Conference yesterday. There was too much other stuff going on, but I'm going to make sure we get some headway going today, and we will start our breakdown with the Boston Celtics. Ah, the Celtics, who should have been the easiest over money of the season. But, of course, we're not going to get those bets cashed out, and that is extremely annoying. 43-21 and 21 at the time of the shutdown. Boston, you knew they were going to try to show everybody they didn't need Kyrie Irving. This was a Marcus Smart-style team. Everybody just going 185% until players broke down, but they had enough horses to cover for it. They were good. For all intents and purposes, they were, they probably outplayed their talent level by playing harder than their competition for long stretches. They were not very good within their own division, believe it or not, at just seven and six. They had Toronto, Philadelphia, Brooklyn in that grouping. The only cake team is New York, the Knicks. So a good division that they didn't really separate themselves from, at least in the in, intra-divisional games. Meanwhile, remember, Philly was 11-4 and four in the division. Toronto was 8-4. and four. And I think this tells you what you need to know about Boston, is that they really did beat the teams they were supposed to. Uh, Oklahoma City was the, the poster child of that in the Western Conference. Boston beat the teams that they were supposed to. 
They had tight, hard-fought games with the better teams of the NBA. They were 27-10 and 10 in their own division. They were 16-11 and 11 against the Western Conference. So again, as you would expect, had more success against the lesser teams. It's expected. It doesn't always work out that way for teams, but it, it's what happened with Boston this year. They were also a really fun fantasy team. Jason Tatum took a big leap forward, particularly and almost exclusively in usage. That was the massive jump for him this year. He just decided it was time. Uh, Kyrie gone. He moved into an alpha role. Last year took 13 shots. This year took 19 shots. That's a big usage jump. And everything else stayed relatively constant. He played more minutes, so you could add about 10% to all the other stuff going on. Rebounding rate went up just a little bit. Assist rate went up just a tiny bit, but steal rate, block rate, assist rate, rebound, all that stuff was pretty pretty consistent. And then the big jump, again, was usage. His free throw number actually went down this year. What was nice to see is that his usage made a big leap forward, and his field goal percent, although he started the year horribly in that, rebounded well and finished right around his career mark. So that didn't end up hurting him despite taking a bunch of extra shots. As you look towards the future, I guess your hope with Tatum is that maybe he can take a tiny step forward in field goal percent, although I don't know that that's uh, going to be the case. Uh, As it stands, he's become quite good at a number of things. The 2.3 combined defensive stats was excellent scoring, rebounding, both very good. Almost three three three-pointers a game on 40%, just a lot to like there. And if you're looking at simple and easy-to-achieve upside, it would be free throw percent going from 80 and a half back to his career mark, which is closer to 83. That might have actually moved him up another slot. Tough to say. He was number 12. Uh, He was pretty close to LeBron James. You know, slightly better free throw percent might have actually elevated him to number 11 or even number 10. And I don't know that there's a a reason to think that he's going to change all that much. You know, the usage was the big difference maker for him. Uh, yes, he upped the number of three-pointers he took, but he just, everything offensively, he did more of. So in terms of this resumption, seems relatively predictable. The rest of the guys on this team, I don't know are if they're quite as predictable for the resumption season, because throughout the regular season, Marcus Smart did most of his damage when one player was out. And for the Celtics, one player was out almost every single game. It was a rotating carousel uh, of injuries, but, you know, Kemba Walker only played 50 of their 64 games. He missed 14. It didn't overlap as much as you might think. It did a little bit, but Kemba missed 14 games. Gordon Hayward missed 19 games. Jalen Brown missed 14 games. So one of these guys, even Tatum missed five, one of these guys was out. Almost every game. I mean, hell, Marcus Smart missed 11 games himself. This is the Celtics we saw pre-Kyrie Irving, where they just played themselves into nagging injuries. And that allowed each guy to have a little bit more of the pie, because instead of Tatum, Walker, Hayward, Smart, Brown, all five guys being on the floor, five became four, and so there was just a little bit more for everybody. With the entire team healthy, I don't think Tatum's numbers are impacted almost at all. Uh, I think I don't think Kemba Walker's n- numbers are impacted almost at all. In fact, he might even be a tiny value here, having disappointed most folks during the regular season with a down year. This is, again, one of those spots where we don't want to get cute. A usage hit generally means a value hit. But he had to play low minutes in some games. He was banged up a bunch. He could very easily come back out here and actually do a little bit more than he was doing pre-break. I don't know precisely where he's going to get drafted. He still has a pretty powerful name in the NBA and fantasy circles, but there's a possibility, to me at least, that he could be a tiny value. Gordon Hayward finished at 44. By the way, Walker was at 42. Hayward, 17, 6.5, and 4. Very good percentages. Not much in the defensive stuff. 1.5, three-pointers. Just pretty good in almost everything. I don't know, man. I, you know, when, when guys are reliant on 
things that are uh, a little that can fluctuate a little bit. An eight-game sample size makes it a little bit hard to, to put all your eggs in one basket. Gordon Hayward is a career 45% shooter from the field. He went 50% from the field this year. Now, admittedly, he's getting better looks on a Celtics team that has three, four other competent offensive players. He hadn't really been in that scenario before. Uh, you know, with Utah, he was a higher-volume guy. This was 13 and a half shots. He was taking 15, 16 shots his last couple years with the Jazz. So his scoring was down a little bit, but on a Celtics team that was largely without big men, you know, Daniel Tice, we'll talk about him in a minute, he had to do a little more rebounding. We know he's a good passer, kind of an orchestrator from that wing position. Steals and blocks, is there a chance those come back at some point in the future? Yeah, maybe, but I wouldn't expect them to change much during this resumption versus what we saw in the regular season. Hayward was getting underdrafted this year because he was coming off a bad 2000. 18-19 campaign, um, but I'm inclined to think that now that everyone's seen him go top 50 pretty reliably from day one to day whatever this year, he probably gets drafted higher now. He probably gets drafted based on the numbers he was putting up during this regular season. And then with Marcus Smart, you're talking about a high three-pointer, high steals guy who does a lot of extra damage when someone's out. He finished at 57. I would be very surprised if he put up these same exact numbers during the eight-game resumption. I've got to think that his volume will be a little bit lower with everybody playing. To Jalen Brown's credit, as we continue to look through all of these guards and wings, he did seem to make a sustainable stride forward in field goal percent. He shot 49% this year. He was trending up. I mean, he was already around 47% the last couple of seasons, Three-point percentage didn't change that much from his career mark. Free throw percent got better. That was a big deal for Jalen Brown, actually, maintaining value inside the top 75. Uh, you know, steals, that rate stayed about the same. His rebounding came up. Again, Boston without a big-time rebounder, so they sort of had to gang rebound stuff. And for him, a, a lot of the change was similar to Jason Tatum, where he just got to do a lot more with Kyrie Irving gone. It's kind, of, it's kind of remarkable, actually. I, Kyrie Irving and Al Horford left. You would have thought Kemba Walker would have just stepped right into all of those buckets, but it didn't quite work out that way. They played a little faster, so you got more possessions. That was great for the team as a whole. Jalen Brown took almost five extra shots this year. We talked about Tatum taking six shots more. I don't know where these 11 shots came from, but they went to those two guys. I mean, considering Kemba, he was still taking almost 17 shots a game. You know, Kyrie was, what, 19, 20 the previous year? If Kemba's taken 17 of those, there should have only been three for the other guys, but it didn't work out that way. And, I'm not, I mean, not like Al Horford was taking a ton of shots. So they just moved the ball. They played quicker. Key guys took pretty much all the shots. And so Jalen Brown, giant usage boost. Jason Tatum, giant usage boost. And their numbers went up as a result. Usage goes up, numbers go up. Jalen Brown was number 69 with all 30 teams playing. Feels pretty reasonable to expect him to stay close to that. I mean, he scored almost, he averaged 20 points on the year and he scored almost 20 points on the nose every single game. He was strikingly consistent this year in terms of hanging around near that 20-point mark in a lot of his basketball games. He didn't take a ton of three-pointers, but who cares? I mean, he made two a game. That's not nothing to sort of snub your nose at. He just got better. It seemed like he was set to fall off a cliff. He never did. Improving free throw percent was a big deal. Good field goal percent was a big deal. And yeah, Things can fluctuate here during a short, small sample size campaign. But I think his numbers stay relatively consistent. And I think Daniel Tice, I mean, you guys know I'm targeting the crap out of him next year in drafts. And I'll probably do it here during this resumption also. He had won the starter's job. He was better at the end of the year than he was at the beginning. He finished at 78 over the entire season. And he was rolling top 50 style for the better part of the last two to three weeks. I love it. He's a wonderful roto player. Doesn't turn the ball over at all. Very good field goal percent. 
pretty decent free throw percent for a big man. Gets some steals, some blocks. Rebounds all right. That number goes up as he stays on the floor longer. There's just a lot to like about him. So with this Celtics team, I think you're looking at uh, Gordon Hayward, Marcus Smart, potentially getting overdrafted. Although I don't know with Smart. It's possible that he just goes where he's supposed to. I think a lot of these players are going to go pretty close to where they're supposed to. Hayward may be a tiny bit overdrafted if that field goal percent doesn't hit 50 during the resumption. Uh, Tatum, I think, accurately drafted. Jalen Brown, probably accurately drafted. Smart, maybe a tiny bit overdrafted, but probably pretty close to right. Kemba, perhaps a hair underdrafted. And then Daniel Tice, there's almost way, no way he doesn't go underdrafted unless you're in a league with all people who listen to this podcast. Next team on the docket, the Miami Heat, the surprising four seed in the Eastern Conference, 41 and 24. By the way, if you're thinking about what the Boston Celtics might do in terms of will they play their guys all eight games, based on the Marcus Smart mentality, my guess is they're going to mostly play their guys. If they get locked into that three seed, which could happen because they're three games back of Toronto and two and a half games up on Miami, so they got a little bit of a buffer on both sides. If they get locked into that three seed, you'll probably see the main guys take a game off, in which case someone, let's say Marcus Smart actually plays, he would see a mega jump. What you might also see is they just rotate giving one guy off for the last four games of the resumption. You know, game game four, or maybe the last five games even. Maybe they give Gordon Hayward off the fourth game, and then Kemba the fifth game, and then Tatum the sixth game, and then Smart, and then Jalen Brown, and so on. So you might get seven games out of all of those guys. That would be my guess with that Boston team. And I would not invest a draft pick in any of the potential backups because, as we've seen before, if they just rest one guy, the other main dudes just pick up all the slack. Let's transition to Miami. A weird fantasy team again. They're always a weird fantasy team, but they were less weird this year, and for that, we are eternally grateful. Many seasons lately, the Heat have had almost no fantasy assets. It's been a, uh, a, a log jam at every position on the court, and there was still a lot of that this year. Most notably, power forward. Also notably, point guard. Also notably, well, I don't know. I guess we could just say those two. Total mess. Let's start with the easy stuff. Jimmy Butler finished at number 13. Uh, you know he's going to be going hard because he knows no other way. They'll force him to take a game off. But you can bet that they want to stay. I think they'd rather play Indiana than Philadelphia, frankly. But we'll see how it shakes out. I, I'm sure they'd rather have... Uh, they'd rather stay in front of the Pacers and the Sixers. What they don't want to do is fall from the four to the six seed because then they'd be looking at the Celtics instead of the Pacers. Um, because there's so much uncertainty there, Indy and Philly being tied, Miami's job is going to be to just keep winning. Keep winning ballgames. And whatever happens, happens. So I think they'll play most of them. At the same time, I don't think they care that much, provided they don't fall behind both of those teams. So you probably will see uh, Jimmy Butler take a game off. Will you see Bam Adebayo take a game off? Well, if the regular season is any indicator, no. Played in all 65 Heat games this year at a top 40 level, which he'll probably do here going forward. And when I say top 40, of course, I haven't removed the eight teams yet. So, you know, get rid of like 10 picks and he'll be more like a top 30 type of guy. Uh, Jimmy Butler, same thing. You pull out a handful of players in front of him. So you guys get the idea. Um, the rest of the Miami Heat is where things get a little bit goofball. I. Uh, I see no reason why Duncan Robinson should stop doing what he did during the regular season. He averaged 30 minutes a game. His role was strikingly consistent, regardless of who was on the floor around him. They love his spacing. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA, hitting almost four a game while still shooting 47% from the field. I mean, most of his shots were from three-point land, and he hit a lot of them. And he finished at 85 during the regular mark. And so he's very much a guy that should be on fantasy teams during the resumption season. In fact, if you get rid of 27% of the teams there, 85 becomes 62. So he could actually be a top 65 guy. 
during this eight-game sprint. But what about the rest of this Miami Heat grab bag? What about the rest of these names? Derek Jones Jr., COVID-positive Derek Jones Jr., Kendrick Nunn, Tyler Hero, Garn Dragic, Andre Iguodala, Jay Crowder. What about these guys? Is there anybody in that group that you should spend a draft pick on? I think the answer is yes. And I think the answer is Jay Crowder, which is oddly upsetting thing to say out loud, but he was actually pretty good. Actually for the whole season, but even more so with Miami. For the year, Jay Crowder finished at number 98, brutal field goal percent in a largely leadership role with the Memphis Grizzlies, which he did well. After moving to Miami, his role changed a little bit. He wasn't needed as the veteran leader on the floor on a team that already had Jimmy Butler basically filling that particular job. Sure, he could still do it, but he was actually asked to take some shots, mostly three-pointers. His scoring was up in his 13 games with Miami from 10 to 12. His steals were up from one to one and a half, which I think was probably more fluky than anything else. Assists and rebounds were fairly consistent. Assists down a tiny bit, less facilitating rebounds, uh, almost exactly the same. You could probably attribute that to the fact that he played about one minute less in Miami than he did in Memphis. Took the same number of shots, but made more of them. Career 42% shooter, 37 with Memphis, 44 with Miami. Who will he be when he comes back? Career 34%er from three-point land, 29 with Memphis, 39 with Miami. If we go on the numbers, you pretty much split the difference. You call him about a 41 to 42% guy from the field. You call him 34 from downtown and he finishes well within the should-be-on-your-team range with the Miami Heat. In fact, in his time with the Heat, which was effectively the last 10 games of the regular season, 13 as we mentioned, he came in, remember he had two very big games with Miami that could have actually clouded his numbers. Even after those big games, he shot about 39% with the Heat and was still number 82 over those three weeks. 10 points, 5.5 rebounds, 1.5 steals, over two three-pointers. Percentage is not very good. There's a lot to dislike about Jay Crowder's fantasy game. The bad percentages being a big one. The fact that his steals jumped for the first time since he played with Boston a half decade ago. There's some stuff to like. Very low turnovers, going to hit some three-pointers. They're going to play him because they like his toughness. And overall, it levels off. And plus, you got to get rid of eight teams again. I mean, if Jay Crowder was borderline with 30 teams, he's absolutely on the good side of the cut line with 22. Remember this. It's, it's a key point to keep in our head. Everybody gets a 27% bump. That's big. That's huge. It's not that their numbers get a 27% bump. You just remove the guys in front of them that were pushing them to the edge of the top 100. Is there anyone else on Miami I would draft? No. Do I think Miami plays most of their eight games? Yes. What happens when Jimmy Butler is out? Derek Jones Jr. gets a little bit more run. He's the questionable one, by the way. I want to spend a second on him before we wrap this thing up. Kendrick Nunn. Tyler Hero, these were guys that needed they needed their percentages to be good all season long, and they're just not going to be. If you want to roll the dice and say, oh, well, Kendrick's going to shoot 49% for eight games, be my guess. The averages would just indicate that that's somewhat unlikely. So Duncan Robinson's de definitely in. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, those are obvious ones. Jay Crowder is in. And Derek Jones Jr. is your... Something of a wild card here. He did more when guys were out. It's as simple as that. If you look at his minute log, it was all over the map. 
In fact, the very last game he played was the day the NBA shut down. He had 23 points of steal and a couple of blocks in a game against Charlotte where, surprise, surprise, Jimmy Butler didn't play. Derek Jones stepped in, took most of his minutes. So if Butler sits out a game, you might get a Derek Jones drop in. Might. There's by no means any guarantee he actually takes 13 shots in a game where Butler sits it out. Kendrick Nunn takes a bunch of shots in games where Butler sits it out. I would still probably prefer not to spend a draft pick on him. I don't think that there's going to be... I don't think there's going to be enough to where, you know, if you look at the games where Butler was in, Jones was playing closer to 20 minutes a game and he wasn't doing enough in those. He needed to get up near 30. That was when he did a lot of his damage. And he was very good when he was getting up near 30 minutes. Uh, you know, 20 minutes, probably not enough. It's questionable, though. It was worth a discussion, at the very least. And he'll probably get drafted in your resumption leagues because he's not awful even when he's only playing 20 minutes. He's not awful. He'll probably be outside the top 100 even in this resumption format, but not by much. If he was playing 24 minutes, he'd probably get inside the top 100 with 22 teams going. And then if Miami decides they want to rest anybody at any point, he's a plug-and-play option. But, you know, when you're talking about plug-and-play options, I I generally lean more towards being able to make that as a pickup with these eight games. I'd rather use those last few draft slots for guys that I think are actually going to get two to three starts because their teams are going to go into rest mode. Teams, uh, again, like the Lakers, who have that big cushion. Teams like the Spurs, the Suns who are probably going to get eliminated quickly, and believe me, we'll get to Washington here at some point. Let's talk about Indiana, next team on the docket. Indiana's a weird one because we only got to see them with Victor Oladipo for uh, a brief spell, and he wasn't himself for most of that brief spell. What we do know about Indiana is that as they got healthy, mind you, no Jeremy Lamb, remember blew out his ACL, so he's he's done for a bit. As they got healthy, the guy that got aced out on that team was Malcolm Brogdon. And sort of a weird twist. As they got healthy, Demontis Sabonis was fine. Miles Turner actually got better towards the end of the year. He started blocking more shots, which again, a lot of his value is tied to how many shots he can reject. And last couple months, he was more towards the two and a half mark. T.J. Warren was actually outstanding during this stretch. He was shooting the ball exceptionally well, almost 55% over those 20 games. So he was good. Oddly, Justin Holiday was somewhat successful off the bench, but I, I, don't, I think I'd rather talk about him towards the end of this thing. Victor Oladipo was coming around, and Malcolm Brogdon vanished. Questions hanging over this Indiana team in my mind, at least, revolve more about where these guys might get drafted in a resumption league, or even next year, as you look ahead. I, I don't know where these guys are going to end up. And, you know, we did that breakdown earlier in our in our team-by-team. Team. So for now, we're just going to focus on the resumption league. Miles Turner, probably going to get underdrafted in this resumption league. I think he's going to get drafted based on what he did for the entire season, which was top 60-level production, 12.6.5 rebounds, 2.2 blocks, he has uh, an easy path to breaking that mark because if he has energy, if he has spring in his step here during the resumption, a guy that can get you 20 blocks in eight games is colossal right now. We've talked about that. Specialists are huge in limited in these, these short bursts because in a Roto League, three or four blocks could, could be the difference in four or five roto points. I mean, you could get a roto point per block. Everyone's going to be all jammed up together because we're only talking about a total, most likely, of about 80 games being used. If you have a games cap set, it would probably be eight and 10, and 10 starting slots. We did this out calculation on a previous show. It's about 0.7, roughly, blocks, a little more than that, like 0.72 blocks, to win your league. So do 0.72 times 80 
And you could potentially win your Roto Resumption League with about 57, 58 blocks. What if Miles Turner got you 20 of those by himself? You tell me the rest of your team, your other 72 players only need to get you 37, 38 blocks? Easy. So these guys who can block shots are a really big deal right now. And if he comes back playing as well as he did when the season shut down, you're in great shape. And we also thought this might be the case because Oladipo coming back, he was a guy that Turner had had chemistry with. Actually, Darren Collison was the other one from last year. Miles Turner suffered with a different orchestrator on this team. With Malcolm Brogdon at the helm, Turner didn't get the ball in the places he wanted it. Oladipo's return helped him. Demata Sabonis, very predictable. Scoring, rebounding, assists, that stuff doesn't fluctuate that much, which makes him a pretty easy pick because you don't have these wild moves. Where You know, if Miles Turner comes back and only blocks eight shots in eight games, he's going to be a disaster. TJ Warren, also fairly predictable. He's a good percentages guy who scores. Rebounds a little bit, steals a little bit. Over the year, he was one of the best picks in fantasy. Finished at 59, generally drafted around 100. I see no reason why that number should move off the mark all that much. I know Oladipo coming back, but Jeremy Lamb going out, it balances out a little bit. And Warren wasn't passing anyway. He's the recipient of stuff from those other guys. Would I draft uh, Justin Holiday? And I'm going to do him, and we'll do Victor Oladipo last. Uh, we'll talk about Justin Holiday. We'll talk about Malcolm Brogdon. Brogdon's going to get overdrafted. He started the year really quickly. I don't think most people realized how bad he was the last month and a half, two months of the year. So I'm not uh, particularly concerned with him. Justin Holiday finished at 110 in about 25 minutes a game. He was exceptionally durable. I don't think there's a lot of room for upside with him, largely because Indy is a team that seemingly will play all eight games. Right now, they're set to face the Miami Heat in the first round. I think they would much rather that than Boston. Uh, well, maybe a little bit. Maybe not much rather, but probably rather, we'll say, face the Heat than Boston. I think they'd love to get past the Heat if they could give themselves a shot at something else. They're not catching Boston, so there's also that element. They don't want to fall back. That puts them in a in a, a, a nasty spot. And I think they're going to play. You may see a little bit of what we talked about with the Heat, where they might just say, well, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen. We're not going to worry too much about it. But that's a team that needed chemistry. This is a beautiful tool. The team that needs chemistry is likely going to play their games. They were just, and I mean just, starting to figure out how to play together. Remember this? Remember we talked about Indiana on our team-by-team -team breakdowns and how Victor Oladipo had legitimately had his only good game the day the league shut down, the day before. March 10th, he had 27-7-4. He shot the ball well. He took a lot of shots and made most of them. That was a, a big thing. I mean, he had had a couple of games where he had broken the 50% threshold from the field, but it was like 5 out of 7, 5 out of 9. Almost all the games where he had volume, he was missing shots. He shot 39% in his 13 games this year, way below his career mark. He was getting no steals. Because, as we know, guys coming back from injury or guys playing hurt, defensive stats suffer. He's had a lot of time to get right, but they're going to want him to play with the rest of these dudes. I, I, I think Victor Oladipo could actually be a steal during this resumption draft because he was bad. He made people wait. He's left a horrible taste in everybody's mouth. And he, he actually had his best game in a calendar year, the very last game before the NBA went into suspension. I don't have a clue where he's going to get drafted. Like, I have a pretty good idea where Demonis Sabonis is going to get drafted. You know, mid-40s, minus 27% of the players. Miles Turner will probably fall back into that range, and he'll be a good value there. TJ Warren will probably still fall past where he should go, so small value. So Sabonis, no value, accurately drafted. Miles Turner, small value. Warren, small value. Brogdon, overdrafted. Justin Holiday, 
No real upside there. Potential pickup if they start to rest people. And then Victor Oladipo, who got overdrafted, people thinking, oh, well, he'll be back by December. I'm going to take him in like the fifth, sixth round, and then he did nothing. He's going to go later. Now is when you should be taking him in that range. I mean, he's going to be good. He could really be like a top 30 type of guy here coming back. There's a chance for that. Depending on what he did during the layoff. But I'm not worried about how many games these guys are going to play. Oladipo might get a game off. They want to keep him, you know, somewhat well-rested. But I, I think he could be a value, too. I think Indiana has a chance to have some nice values here during the resumption. I think they have a chance to have some nice values next year, too. Do we have time for one more? Uh, yeah, we can do Philadelphia because they're pretty easy. Uh, let's let's speed round Philadelphia because, to me, they might be the simplest team in the Eastern Conference to handicap here for the resumption. They're uh, 39-26, and 26, terrible at home, or terrible on the road, good at home. All of these games are going to be in a neutral site, which augurs strangely for them, but I do think that their focus will be better here as we move towards the actual playoffs. They have no chance of falling back to the seven seed, which is good, but they do have an opportunity to move up to the five or four seed if they want to get caught up in this Miami-Indiana potential Philadelphia love triangle. Does Philadelphia want to avoid Boston? I don't think they care all that much on that front. I think Philly believes they might be better than most of the teams in front of them in the Eastern Conference, and so perhaps they're not going to be that concerned but I do think that this is a team that feels like they have something to prove to themselves after getting called disappointments all year. And the home road thing became a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Luckily, there are no home and road games anymore. So it's kind of a blank slate for this team. It allowed Ben Simmons to get healthy. It allowed Joel Embiid to get healthy. Tobias Harris is always healthy. So you know what these guys are going to do. Embiid finished at number 15. That's what he's going to be. Minus 27%. Ben Simmons finished at 34. It's probably what he's going to be. Maybe a little bit less. I think he'll probably get overdrafted. The steal's at 2.1. If he doesn't hit that mark and he continues to clang free throws, the 34 can become 50 on the ranking pretty fast. Tobias Harris, we know exactly what he is. He is an easy one. Josh Richardson, he could actually be a little bit of a value here, although it depends what people think of him. He's not going to be as bad as he was during the regular season with all the injuries around him, but he also won't be anywhere near as good as folks were hoping when he was drafted back in October. Uh, I do think he'll be underdrafted a little bit. So let's look at it this way. Richardson was badly banged up this year and never quite got right, and so his numbers were pretty ugly. He would have played more minutes. 30.7 was the minute total on a per-game basis this year. It would have been higher than that with, if not for a lot of 2022-24 game minutes as he worked himself back from multiple injuries. So I think he'll be a little bit underdrafted. Al Horford, who you guys know is generally a, a, a friend of mine on this podcast, once he moved to the bench, he wasn't the same. I would pass on Horford. I don't think I'm venturing into that those waters. Uh, unless he falls real late, in which case I might spot start him when they almost definitely give Embiid a game off during these eight games. Ben Simmons slightly overdrafted. Joel Embiid accurately drafted. Tobias Harris accurately drafted. That's your 76ers. They're an easy one. We know what these guys do when they're on the floor. We generally know who's going to be on the floor right now. We know that they're going to play as if there's something on the line. But there's going to be that twinge of regular seasonness to it. So I would expect Joel Embiid to play six or seven of these games. I think Simmons will play seven of these games. Harris might play all eight. Horford probably does play all eight. Why the hell not? Especially if his minutes are low off the bench. Richardson's probably going to play all eight, but I'm guessing they'll hold him to seven. So pretty reasonable. Seven is about average. I think if you can get seven, you don't have to worry about it. You don't make an adjustment up or down in your rankings for these guys. So again, very quickly. Richardson, potential value. Not a great one. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he's going to be like a top 60 guy, but I think he'll be inside the top 100, and that makes him worthwhile. Horford scares me. 
if he scares other people more, well, great. But I, I think at this point, if he's coming off the bench, I'm just not that interested. Tobias Harris, you guys know I'll always target him because he's a safe play. You know, top 50, minus 27%. Pull him out of the books. Ben Simmons will get overdrafted. He had a big year. That steals number is about as high as it could possibly go, I think. I mean, who knows? He could have he could average three steals a game for these eight, for all we know. But more than likely, that number comes down. If you're the guy that's leading the league in a category, it's hard to maintain the lead in that category. And then Joel Embiid is Joel Embiid. He might even be a tiny bit better. I mean, he, certainly his ranking will be better because four or five of the guys in front of him are not playing. But you catch my meaning. I think he could actually even be a hair better. 23 and 12 with a steal, 1.3 blocks. I mean, you could see the blocks come up a tiny bit. You could see the field goal percent and scoring be a little bit better, maybe. It depends how fast you can shake off the rust. I wouldn't be that worried about uh, missing a bunch of games. Again, we're only talking about eight. So probably one rest game, and I'm guessing they'll try to get those guys in for the other ones. Okay, let's put a pin in it at that point. Uh, Because I have a lot of thoughts on Brooklyn, Orlando, and Washington. And we will finish those up first thing next week. Keep forgetting to ask you guys for mailbag questions. I think I'm going to try to remember to do that at uh, some point At some point uh, today on Twitter. That is, of course, at Dan Bespris. Did I ever introduce the podcast today? I might have to go back and actually edit that in. You'll never know. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoopball presentation. We will talk to you on Monday. This has been a hoopball presentation.